Hello, welcome to the episode three of the Metamorphosis Track Project podcast. I'm your host, Jack Edwards, and today I'm super pumped to be joined by Matt Lynch. Uh, Matt Lynch, you may know him as the voice behind the live streams for Athletics Australia. He works for Queensland Athletics and he was an athlete back in the day as well, a really good one. In this episode, he actually gets a little bit nostalgic uh, looking back on some of his best scalps, some of his experiences as an athlete. But some of the big topics that we cover today are who won the athletic season for the uh, Australian domestic season 2020? What implications does the postponement of the Olympics have for Australian athletes and also athletes all around the globe? So we're looking at the 2021, 22 and 23 athletic seasons. And finally, we also ask the question is how can we translate our Australia's strong performances at under 18 and under 20 levels into the Opens? I really love this episode. Matt's got you know, a ton of charisma, personality. Uh, you can tell he works with the media and he's a really great interview. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Matt, thanks for coming on today. I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and what your role is in track and field in Australia. It's a pretty big question. Well, yeah. yeah um, so currently I'm working at Queensland Athletics, uh, communications and events manager. It was sport coordinator when I started there, but I got that changed because that was very vague to kind of fit in. But I feel like I just, I like getting involved in anything based, basically anything athletics. Kind of got my fingers in a few pies, not just with the Queensland Athletics. Obviously, I do the live stream for Athletics Australia um, and a lot of that new Ats TV, IG, um, Instagram TV stuff. I kind of just fell into that. Um, our big project this year, or my big project, was the Queensland Track Classic, which unfortunately mm. has been postponed. Don't know when it will happen again and if there's any point of it happening. But, you know, I'm sure if we get it up and running sometime this year before 2021, someone will want to do it. Someone wants to run. The amount of messages I had before when we did postpone it that they were still so keen to run, just if we put it on, was huge. So obviously they've got the support there, but that's kind of my thing now. I just have an affinity for numbers so they just seem to stick in my head and it helps when I'm commentating so I don't forget anyone's PBs. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny when things go right in Australian track and field. For example, when Brisbane sort of got upgraded, I see people like throwing their hands in the air and they're like, Matt Lynch. Yeah, like, so uh, I'm really happy to have you on, you know, as like a bit, you know, pretty much a big figure in Australian track and field, especially Queensland track and field as well. And you're also a coach and a former yeah. athlete. Yeah, people don't know that. If, uh, if, they have, if they're a bit too new to the sport, they might just think, you know, I've just sort of popped in, I just do the live stream or I just work behind the scenes. But I think it's helped me as a learn a lot more about athletics, actually seeing what happens and goes into it a comp. And it makes me appreciate it more when I see some athletes going through now that they definitely don't understand what actually goes into putting on a meet. Hmm. And you actually, when I get your your IAAF profile up, you actually have a really impressive resume. Like it makes, you know, I'm still an athlete at the moment, but you, you would scalp the crap out of me in the 100, running a 10.64, a 21.22.200, a 46.4.400 being your main event, going all the way up to 153.800 and a 7.21 long jump back in 2003 it's a really really impressive resume yeah (laughs) i actually so i I started out probably at the lays doing hurdles and my coach was like look you'll you know you'll never be you're too tall and skinny you'll never be a sprinter but i ended up not being out of hurdle i've got a torn labrum in my hip in my trail leg so i just can't 
as soon as the hurdles got too high, I couldn't move. I couldn't get yeah. hip around. So turned to sprinting. That kind of was the fun thing for a while. Um, went to uni, got fat, got shit, got out the other side, ran fast again. And then I didn't move to 400s till I was 23. So I'd actually come off the back of that 1064 and the 212, yeah. both PBs, and then I moved to 400. So it was a big step up, but that sort of ended up being my niche, I guess. I kind of wish I moved to it earlier. I think a few of our one and two guys should move to the fours because they're going to make an impact in the world a little bit more than they will in just winning state and national titles. If they want to go and do something in the world, I think they should go up to the fours, but that's just my opinion. Can you share any names who you, who you think should consider um, in the fours? Because I know him. I'll throw Tom Gamble under the bus. Um, okay. When he's <laughs> sprinting, he's got one of the most epic strides. Like The blokes run... 1028 and 20.6 and he's got the huge stride but he himself admits that he's too much of a pussy to handle the lactic so okay, yeah. that's another thing that comes <laughs> with it you've got to want to be able to hurt yourself and obviously our, 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 when i was coming through 400s like i ran 46.4 and i was coming i was begging to get into a track classic with 46.4 like i was mm. coming just making finals and nowadays a 46.4 at the moment like we've got a good top bunch but it, it that would be fast right now and I yeah. you know, grew up when everyone was running 44s. So it, it ebbs and flows. Look at the 100 right now. The 100's fucking epic. But the 4s are lacking. And the other, it was yeah, back yeah. in my days, it was the other way around. 10-3 was epic in the 100. But, you know, you run 45 and you maybe get in the medal. So yeah, I guess you had Johnny, Steph and Sean Rowe and Offerings and... Milburn um, and Tristan Thomas and just... Yeah, exactly. They're winning world medals in the 4x4s. And then, you know, I had to come back and race them at the domestic season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have it didn't have it easy. <laughs> no. Well, I we we prepared a couple of questions. I guess on my end prepared's a bit of a stretch, but you tell me <laughs> I have notes on it. Um and so as a member of the media, um I was so I was living in Germany all through the summer track and field experience and so my uh consumption of athletics Australia was your voice pretty much in the live stream. <laughs> And so I'm relying on you greatly on a very condensed recap of the track and field season. So the, the question that I pose to you is who won this condensed version of the Australian track and field season? Yeah, you did say pick one male, one female. Um, I think on the female side, it's hard to go past Eleanor Patterson. Hmm. Uh, so as much as it, it, it's difficult to show on the live stream, um, and obviously that's one of our biggest complaints on the live stream, why can't we show everything? It's just not possible. She literally rolled out only four times in 2020, uh, jumped the Olympic qualifier three times, was two centimetres off one of the other times, and the fourth time she jumped the area record. You, you, you can't really go past that. And it's only her probably her first full season. She moved down to Alex Stewart more mid last year, I think it was, and this is really her first full season, and she's already jumped 199, and she's just killing it. And I, she, I think two metres would have happened this year if it wasn't for what is happening in the world right now unfortunately yeah. yeah and and it's i guess she's also lucky as well that she does have stiff competition in the event um yeah which seems to be essential in high jump because if you were to look at what's going on in for example men's high jump i remember it wasn't too long ago that everyone was pushing 240 plus and it was yeah. like a collective yeah, it was like yes. Bashim, Druin, they're all just egging each other on and i think that it's happening in our 100s right now for the men. And mm. I think, you know, it's just that you breed that healthy competition. Everyone, won, someone breaks a barrier and they all realize that it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think Eleanor, she was on the top of my 
head as yeah. well as a pick. It's hard to go past. Like I give probably the dark horse award to Liz Clay. Um, Massive fan of that. Like you, response, you know, yeah. you can't you can't really go past that. Her running Melbourne was just epic, and I think if you watch the replay, I'm just like, excuse me. Like yeah. I, I, she yeah. obviously I see her every weekend running. She's she was running PBs in a hundred, and I think that's where it's turned around. Like she's gone mm. from twelve twos to eleven nines, eleven eights, and you know if you can transfer that speed to get over the hurdles, you're going to kill them. And you know she beat Celeste Mucci by a mile, so it had to yeah. be fast. And then to run on what we'd previously just discussed on the live stream is the new track at um, at Lakeside fast or slow? Well, it was slow for the sprinters, but then this Clay ran twelve nine, so I guess it's fast. Yeah, and really, women's hurdles is so uh, results are so dependent upon the flat speed. Yeah, it's like the men's, for example. Like Sally would always, you know, her and Mel Breen were like going at it in the in the women's one hundred. And so when I, I guess when Liz dropped that super fast one hundred, you're like, ooh, and yeah, uh, and, and yeah. the same thing was with Shelley Jenicky. Like when she was when she started getting down into the eleven sevens, that's when she dropped yes. twelve eight, and it ju- it just works. Les Mucci's eleven six, Brianna Bean's eleven five. Like you, you need that speed to, to to mix it up with them. Absolutely. Those are some brilliant answers. Uh, what, what, what about the men's 100? Sorry, the, the men's side of things. Is that, is that your selection of the men's? <laughs> no, um, no I'm, not, I'm not picking the men's 100. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, it's hard to go past. He only ran twice, but I've got a Stuart McSwain. You've you got to go back to, obviously, Zatapak in December. He only ran twice, but he, you know, he qualified for the Olympics both times in the 10K, did the Australian record, Oceania record in the 10, won the five at the Melbourne Track Classic. He, he's just too good. It's unbelievable. That run at Box Hill with Pat Tiernan down at Zatapak, just, I think, I would have never had another look at basically a race over 1,500 metres when I was competing, but having to watch them as a live streamer of obviously gone to love basically every single event. And I did yeah. that Zatapec 10K by myself, both of them, as a commentator, which wasn't easy. You're Being a weird in a guy. Studio, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was in a studio in Melbourne. The track was 10Ks away and I wasn't at the track. So I've had to create this vibe while watching a giant TV sitting in a studio. So yes. I don't know, it was tough. But it was, mm. it was lucky they put on a sick race. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if my eyes deceive me or if I'm remembering the race correctly did he do that in those in flats they don't look I like spikes he <laughs> or he might have done them in splats splats, splats? no so they're basically just um spike flats nike's been doing a little bit of trialing with the like your your the oregon team at, and stuff so they send out a few couple of little splats and flats yeah i don't know too much about the shoes i know the distance yeah. guys just love talking about shoes but yeah, sprinters yeah. doesn't really matter so much <laughs> I'm 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 low key a little bit of a shoe guy and oh, I okay. didn't know about splats. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> then I'm gonna. Uh, do you have any other dark horses for the men's? Oh, not really for the men's. It was more so I was looking forward to things that collisions eventuated. Of, yeah. yeah. So obviously, the before everything went down, the Queensland Track Classic, the men's hundred lineup. We had Kiryu from Japan. We had. Uh, Lalu from Indonesia, the kid who won um, yeah, World Juniors. Juniors, she ran 10.03 last year. We had Kuk Yong Kim from South Korea. We had the Chinese Taipei fella who won the 2017 World Unis, as well as he's a 10.1 guy. You know, Shuhei Tada, another few of the Japanese, against all the 100 guys. And mm. basically, we would have had a plus two guaranteed in Queensland. And yeah. I think we would have seen sub. 
which is we can dream about yeah, it. Maybe yeah. next year. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, because I um I actually did watch Kiryu's. Kiryu's got a, a YouTube channel. I mean, I can't understand. I can't understand a word of it. And now my all my YouTube recommendations are just in Japanese. Yeah, of course. Channels now, but uh, so, yeah, he he was on. He was in Queensland. Yeah, he was Pretty there. He, he'd been there for a month. So yes. no one really knows this, but we held a comp on the thirteenth of March, and he raced. Okay, at Runaway Bay. <laughs> yeah, okay, tell me more. Um, so it was his coach Hiro Tsuchi. He was like, "Oh, look, you know, we were setting up this race for the guys that wouldn't have got into the Track Classic because hmm. he's got such a big group at Toyo Uni." Um, and he ended up sending me the list and I was like, oh, shit. So Kiryu wants to do the 60 and 100. Um, I was like, yeah, he's ready to go. So we had like plus five wins. He <laughs> ran a, what did he run? He ran a 660 in the 60, which he was just real casual for. I actually gave him a couple of practice starts. He was like, oh, can you give us a couple of starts? And I was like, yeah, whatever, mate. I'll sort yeah. <laughs> I was pretty happy with that. I gave him some cracking starts. Um, he ran, I think, 10.22 in the 100 and pulled up at like 80. And that was like maybe 20 minutes after the 60. Um, That's awesome. The guy that I was most impressed with is, uh, was Julian Walsh. He's a Jamaican. He's a 400 runner. He ran 45-1 last year, Japanese guy, but his mm. dad's Jamaican. He ran a windy 10.39 in the 100. Yes. And then I think an hour later in the two, he ran a windy 20.5 when his PB is 20.9. And then 30 minutes later, he ran a 32.44 in the 300. So in 90 minutes, Mama ran 10, 30, 10.39, 20.5, 32.4 in 90 minutes. And I was like, that, oh, there should be a, a sprinting decathlon, which goes like every half an hour, they have to compete one, two, three, four. I'd love it. Yeah. That would be so good. <laughs> that, that would be yeah. sick. All over it. Yeah. Just like the speed endurance challenge. Yeah, exactly. Whoever's hammies can hold on the longest. <laughs> can I throw one name into the men's side is yeah. Aaron Breslin. Won the yes, he the won the season. The yeah, best in the West, of course. He so there's no national title, and so I think people would consider the stallball to be like the second highest honor. Um, stall didn't happen, so he won the Bunbury gift. He did away with fourteen thousand dollars. That's fucking handy too. That is awesome. And the thing he, is, like, yeah, he's like he, he. I feel like he does get like he's underrated. He's a medalist at nationals. <laughs> he's won. He's yeah. won a silver medal. He came yeah. over the Continental Cup for the four by one. It's just that what we were saying before, the competition breeds success. He hasn't got any competition at the moment in Perth. No. So it's really hard. Like the guy's running, you know, ten fours, ten threes, ten twos, and he's winning by fifty meters, basically. No, no disrespect to anyone else in Perth. I'm sure it's not fifty meters, but he, yeah. he's he's killing it by himself and it, it's gotta be hard to do. I'm just a big fan of him stylistically and his person as well. Plus, in fourteen thousand dollars, <laughs> he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, also, as a bit of a track and field buff, you might have some insight into the calendar changes as far as what 2021, 2022 might hold. We we're talking this before we started recording. Yeah, I've um, had a very loose look. So obviously, Tokyo has moved to twenty third of July to the eighth of August next year, twenty twenty one. Eugene was meant to be the 6th of August to the 15th of August. So that obviously won't happen. So they'll be like, yeah, sure, we'll move it to 2022. But that exact date in 2022, and, you know, it's only really a matter for Australians, but Com Games is the 27th of July to the 7th of August. Yeah. And then European Champs, which is the major thing outside of World Champs and Olympics for Europe, 
that was on the 11th of August to the 21st of August. So world champs will be a lot easier, considering it's one sport, would be a lot easier to move. But where does it move? Does it end up going to where Doha was? And, you know, it pushes all the way back. Then you've almost got a world champs in August and then another world champs in 2023. So I think it makes it, it's a it's a big deal because European champs is every sport and so is Comp Games. Whereas Eugene, I think that's going to get just jammed somewhere awkward. And then you've got to think about yeah the money making like you mentioned before with the Diamond League like they've all got to happen. It can't be too early because people have to qualify for it. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to end up in September or something. Which in Eugene, that's getting in like late autumn. It can get pretty cold up there. Yeah, or perhaps. Perhaps there could be a, a massive indoor circuit. I mean, there is a big indoor circuit as is, but it, after my single indoor track and field experience that I had last year, <laughs> I I feel like there's a lot to be um, unlocked there from a spectator perspective, and it'd be cool maybe oh, Diamond League's sort of shifting that way. But I have run I in know. a full indoor 400 meter track once. Wow! I think there's like two or three in the world. When we were at World Unis in 2013. The warm-up track, we were in Russia and the warm-up track was a full six lanes around with a hundred either side, full mm. indoors because they've got a really, it was in Kazan and they've got a big soccer team. So it gets to minus 30 in the winter, but it gets to plus 30 in the summer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they've obviously got to train somewhere. So they built, you know, the track inside as well as the, the soccer pitch inside. It was unbelievable i would can't imagine the times you'd be able to roll in there it must be great to be able to train just have the access either side full indoor full outdoor whatever you want so two potentially uneducated questions that i have in regards to those calendar changes i guess uh would you see uh europeans taking european commonwealth countries taking a preference to uh, and prioritizing european championships over commonwealth games like the uk for example? I think so. A hundred percent. I think you'll probably find, obviously they get split up. UK gets split up into this. So Wales, Scotland, all those guys are probably be more keen for the comm games. The ones that wouldn't make the great Britain and Northern Ireland team. Um, Same as like Jersey and Guernsey and Isle of Man, like they'd be frothing going to the comm games, but Mm. European champs is just, just another world. I think it's probably the next, it would go Olympics, world champs, European champs. I think in terms of, you know, what they, what a European athlete would be striving to, to achieve over there. And being in Germany, in Munich, they haven't really had anything that huge since the Olympics. I think I was reading before, they would absolutely put on a show. It would be unbelievable. Yeah. I, always, I was already planning like, yeah, fuck yeah, I want to go to there. 11th of August to the 21st of August. I could probably be in Munich then. Double sure, off on Oktoberfest, yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> like, it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I can be awesome. Mid- yeah. yeah. Go to the Com Games for you know a week and a half. Then you got four days to get to Munich, and then you stay there for ten days. Sounds sick. If you can get through the economy right now, maneuver your yeah. way through to the. the yeah, if you can, if you've year. got money by twenty twenty two. Yeah, I think. But even then, like nice. you can, yeah. you can tack it onto the Diamond League finals. I'm sure there's mm. going to be something there. Zurich is usually pretty close to it. And well, when you, I went to Istaf Berlin in two thousand eighteen, and that was just and the next level comp is unbelievable yeah. so if you ever want to go see real athletics go to Europe if you can ever go to Europe again absolutely yeah, yeah. and the other question in regards to the calendar changes I guess would bit of a hot take I'm not sure but do you think a lot of the Australian athletes could actually benefit from the postponement of the Olympics from pre- 
preparatory standpoint and the way the Australian calendar works? I definitely think so. I think um, well, if you look at the rest of the world in 2020, we're the only ones that have competed, basically. Us, New Zealand, and they had, what, two meets in South Africa? Simbina yep. ran 991, so obviously... I'm always very, very speculative over those conditions. and uh, Yeah, a lot of that. It, I like that, what was it, maybe 2014, that South Africa decided that they were good at athletics and now they're killing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So to put that in perspective, Van Niekerk came to our World Unis in 2013. Hmm. He didn't make the final. I don't know what was wrong with him. He had a fast time, but you know he didn't make the final. He fucked yeah. up. The next year, he gets second to Karani James at Com Games in 14, and then 2015, he runs 43-4. 2016, he does what he does. Yeah. So they've just decided. Actually, the postponement helps Van Niekerk, that's for sure. Absolutely. And there's a couple of other weird things going on there, like uh, Clarence Munyai. What's his name? The 200-meter runner? Yeah, the 1960. Yes. And even um, so way back when when I was a hurdler and I went to the Isle of Man Commonwealth Youth Games, uh, one of the the South African athletes who crashed out in the final, actually, he ran 13-3 over the hurdles, I think, in the Opens, but actually got tested positive, uh, positive for clenbuterol, I think. So I don't know really what's happening happening there. I don't. No, I've heard some that. things, but yeah, it's all speculative. Yes, good stuff <laughs> going on over there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're they're killing it. Um, okay, well, we'll get off that. Two other main topics, I guess, and something that we've talked about in Instagram DMs is about long term athletic development in our athletes. And so one thing that we do quite well in Australia is we have performed well at world youth, more junior stages. Um, and even so in the university ad compared to how we do in the opens. And mm. so I was wondering, uh, both of us can only look at the, what's happening on the track, unless you have great insight into the field as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I could pretend. But what, what, are, what are some of your thoughts on how Australia could beyond economics go about, developing athletes for open championship type performance. Yeah. They're, they're trying to do it with, with uni games by moving it. Um, it's that we need to, we've got to fix that gap between turning 19 to turning 20. It's, it's not much in terms of, you know, your development, it's only one year, but it's the, the, you're not age protected anymore. You go from being the best under 20 to just being another dude or you're competing against everyone else who was the best under 20 for the last 10 years yeah. and you just get thrown into the deep end and there's no, there's no protection for them there. There's that small, like under 23 qualifier to go to nationals, but you know, that's only 0.1 slower than a hundred qualifier anyway. And you're still going to come 40th if you're running 1094 or something. So mm. it's not really helping you achieve any of your goals. I think the support for world unis is definitely getting bigger um, the problem is it does cost like six grand anyway to go and they're usually in you know, pretty shitty parts of the world. So Napoli sounded pretty nice last time. It did. It did. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one I went to, the choice was Northern Spain or the middle of Russia and it went to the middle of Russia. So yeah, I would never go to Russia for any other reason. It took 42 hours to get there. That was rough, but uh, that was an interesting place. <laughs> you can take yeah. that off the list. But I think... What, well, what they were trying to do this year was develop a under-23 tour to, um, to Japan. And I think that's we need to just get that rolling. We need a, a, at least a, a match between 
you know, a, a, a series match between Japan, the Japan and us. It, it works perfectly. Their season kicks off late April. You know, we do our nationals, pick the team, you know, train for a little bit more and then pop over there, run April to May. And, you know, if that's the end of your season, that's the end of your season. You, you've gone pretty deep and it's at least prepared you a little bit for once you get better and you start competing in June, July and August. But I think opening people's worlds to other things out there apart from the season ends in April and that's it, done. I think that's what keeps people going. And if you can age protect them just a little bit, even if it's under 23s or under 25s, just for those guys that develop late, like Tim Leithart, I reckon for me was one of the big ones where, you know, he was just rolling around 10 eights for a while when he was 20, 21, 22. And then he just got faster and more keen. And then he made London in a four by one. Yeah. Tim Leithart's pretty much my goals as far as how yeah. I see myself. <laughs> like, yeah. he just, it would just be like, oh, Leithart ran 1048. And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, that's sick. And then they yeah. go, oh, he ran 1036. Oh, he ran 1024. And then he was over in London at the Olympics and it was like, yeah. God, didn't someone just beat him at the uni games and he ran 10 8? Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, like, like, those yeah. are the people you, you just lose if you, especially if we don't have a, a, a good domestic tour either. You know, I remember Jordan Shelley once because we didn't have one in 2017 at all. And he was like, when's my turn to do a domestic tour? Like, is a young kid come off world youth. He's running 10 fours and 21 lows. Yeah. I've watched all these guys run it. When's my turn? And then it just disappeared. I think there's a balance though, between um, making it too easy to make a, the tour meet as yeah. well. You still need a standard hmm. to, to, to achieve, to get to one. Like we had, I had 50 entries for the Queensland track classic, but like the 40th person was 10, five. Yeah, and I was going to try and work out a way to get everyone in there yeah. um, just because we had a lot of internationals. But I think we do need a, a specific standard to, to make people trying to achieve it. It's not just, oh, yeah, fuck it, you're in, you're in, you're all in. And then, you yeah. know, a 10-9, 11 flat, you know, in a 448-second guy's sending you an email saying, why didn't I get a lane? I was like, well, dude, you're in 48. You don't yeah. deserve the lane, I'm sorry. It's, yeah, yeah. it's harsh, but we also got to make something, you know, achievable or try and help people to achieve something. I think that's yeah. a great point. And like, even with the Jordan Shelley example, I actually think he's, I think this most recent season was his last yeah. season. And like, he's pretty, it's like 22 or something at the most. He'd be 22. Yeah. He's Same as Hale. Weapon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do, uh, you know, I was listening to all like the, while in Germany, I was listening to the field and track podcast and I was watching the, live streams when I could and the crowds went were down and so I think yeah making making the, the domestic thing more attractive I remember watching David Oliver in Sydney in like 2009 mm. and stuff like that it was just yeah. wild and the, the Japanese I got to race a Safa Powell in 2009 I was in the <laughs> lane next to Safa Powell in a four by one it it's went like wild I was the anchor leg for New South Wales B and we got lane four and then the MVP track club was lane five and I was like fuck yeah Asafa didn't even go through the call room. He just rolled up at the, at the last leg. I was like, is he? And then he just, he just seemed just swan down the home straight. And I was like, oh, of course, mate. Yeah, see. Yeah. Just taking up an entire lane with the girth of the shoulders. Yeah. yeah. He was just, and that was the year. He actually ran a 400 that year. And he just like jogged 300 meters and then sprinted and ran 45.9. Like, it's man. just another level. Yeah, there is. There are levels. Well, I think uh, what you proposed sounds awesome for um long-term 
uh, athletic development of Australian athletes. You know, that under 23 age bracket doesn't exist for us and things like the Japan university games, um, domestic circuit sounds like it could be a yeah. good solution. Yeah. Yeah. I think was Europe has European under 23s. Yes, exactly. And I yeah. think it was on the same time, which was just stupid as Napoli as mm-hmm. world unis. So a lot of the European teams with under 23s is basically your uni age. So that kind of screwed world unis up at the same time. Yeah. But I think if we have something like that and we definitely need to go to Japan for that, like we're, we're in Oceania, which is great for us, but it doesn't give us that deep level of competition in every event we can do. Yeah. The Oceania countries are great in the, in the power and speed events, but as you get to the more technical and endurance events, they're not you know, pushing us as much as, you know, New Zealand's great, but that's only one other country. Yeah, absolutely. We just go head to head every day. Yeah. Well, um, I have final question, um, which I sent you. It was, I don't know, maybe it's going to be a segment in this show uh, yep. for those who did compete or those who want to compete. Um, is who is your best scalp and who is number one on your scalp list or who do you wish you scalped, I guess, would be the... I've got, a, I've, I've written down a list. I've got my 100-meter scalps and my 400-meter scalps. Before you um, start, prior to the season beginning, did you create scalp lists of who you wanted to scalp? Not so much because I was so new to the 400 Right. I was kind of trying to work out how to actually run a 400 first. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. like, I felt like if I did that, then I would get the scalps and it worked a few times. Like I've got a, I've got four 400 meter scalps here on my list and that would make a epic four by four. But in the hundred, I don't know if many people would know. I, I, I scalped Isaac and TMO once. Brilliant. That's a great um, scalp, I think yeah. we ran the exact same time. It was not impressive. It was like, 11.08 into a minus 1.5 and he probably just pulled up because it was so shit but I still scalped him so it doesn't matter. Counts. Yeah. Um, and then one day at Mingara, it was like 2008 in like July, Josh Ross rolled up because he's a coastie and he, we, ran in the, we raced in the 60. He beat me in the 60, fucking obviously, because he's Josh Ross and I scalped him in 100. Amazing. I ran like 10, I ran like 10-5 <laughs> hand and he just shook my hand. It's like, good race, Lynch, and bailed. And then I think a few weeks later or maybe a week later, uh, it was state champs. And it was during the time when Mingara would send their results to the Daily Telegraph. So it was in the Telegraph that I beat Ross, just in the back of the sports section. <laughs> and we were getting our names ticked off at the start of the state. And Shervington's racing is there at the time. And, you know, Shervington's there and you know, they go to me, what's your name? He's like, oh, Matt Lynch. And Shervo goes, oh, Lynch, the Josh Ross killer. And that just fucking made my day. I still <laughs> oh, think about it. Sherva's just like, oh, Lynchy, Josh Ross killer. Nice. Do you think he knew that? He probably knew that would make your day coming from him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he read the papers and found in the back of the sports section this little tiny Mingara sprint results. Amazing. M. Lynch, J. Ross. So I was like, yeah, fuck, that's so good. <laughs> that's so good. Oh, in the 400, uh, probably the only two that I don't have that I wanted Solomon was coming through when I was sort of just finishing fours. So I never, I don't think I ever scalped Solomon. I never scalped Tristan Thomas, but he always ran four hurdles as well. But I've got, I got Joel Milburn in my four, first ever proper 400 meter race, which was sick. And he was That's actually pumped too, because he ran the fastest opener that he'd run for a while. I beat Offerings. We didn't run that fast either, but it doesn't matter. I still beat him, even though he's probably like 50 to one against me <laughs> still have him yeah yeah i got sean rowe um in 2012 and in 2011 i beat stephenson 
I think he ran like 47-6 and he pulled up, but like, it doesn't matter. You have pretty much a gold-winning Commonwealth <laughs> Games team on, as a list. It was like, I'm so pumped for that, right? That, those scalps. Offerings was one that I really wanted because I, like, I'm good mates with Offerings and yeah. we've been racing each other since, since I did that long jump, PB721, under 18s, all schools. All right. That's my that race. We ran a 200 meters under 18 all schools in Brisbane at a 1.9 tailie. And first place ran 21.54. I ran 21.54. Offerings ran 21.59. And then I think there was three guys that ran 21.7, 72.73, 21.8. So 21.8 came last in like this under 18 200. It was an epic race. The golden and years. Yeah. I've just been racing <laughs> Offerings since then. And I was like, I just want to beat him one time in a 400. And I got him. And now you're the Queensland guy and he's the New South Wales guy. And yeah. And now we sit next it. to each other talking shit. About, if it's ever 400 bias, you can tell because it's just me and Offerings talking shit the whole time. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how good. Well, Matt, unless you have anything else that you want to plug or talk about. Um, no, no, not really. Um, I'm spending my time at the moment doing a tournament bracket of the greatest Queensland athlete of all time. Um, so I've had to find 64, had to find 64 Queensland athletes and then seed them somehow. And then we're going to do a vote on Instagram through Queensland athletics, Instagram. So I'll put, you know, two athletes up against each other. You guys vote the winner goes on to the next round. And hopefully during our lockdown in about a month or two, maybe three months, we'll have a, everyone voting for the greatest Queensland athlete of all time. I love the sound of that. Who do you, who do you think would be, who do you think is going to be the final two? Final two. Do you think a winner of just um, Queenslanders? Just Queenslanders. I think Trey yeah. is going to have recency bias and he's fantastic, of course. And he's uh, well, Trey's not in the final 64, so don't worry about Trey that. Is, Trey Williams. No. He's not in the final 64. No, I've got a lot of sprinters. Okay. Okay. But, um, no, he's not in there. Paul Van der Kuyp, Queenslander? Uh, Victoria. Oh, I'm showing my my age. <laughs> um, he was my hero, though, Vandercott, when I was doing little A's. Oh, yeah, he was a, a so fantastic my when I was eight. And great yeah. carbs as well. Um, yeah, I actually had an up. We, he came to an, one of our after parties once at Nationals. It was pretty sick. That is that is dope. Um, oh, I'm so oh, there's two big dogs. We've got four Olympic gold medals in Queensland history. Okay. Yeah, so... They, they were my four seeds. So, obviously, Sally Pearson. Yeah. Um, Glennis Nunn. Yeah. yeah. Kathy Freeman's a Queenslander. Mm. And terrible. one that everyone forgets is Norma Croker. So, she was in the 1956 4x1. This is Betty, Betty Cuthbert. Or they yeah. won the 4x1 in Melbourne, broke the world record. So, they had four golds. So, they were the first four seeds. And then Benita Willis won World Cross Country. She's the fifth seed. It sort of works down to there. Got a lot of sprinters, though. Like... I know Trey's run ten ten, and maybe he was number sixty five. But I've got like Damien Marsh, who they won a silver yeah. world champ in a four by one. You know, there's a, there's a lot of guys that have done medals back in the eighties, and that sort of rates them up a little bit higher. He's had a, he had a short uh, he had a short senior season, season senior career. Yeah, I so, I'm super embarrassed that I didn't just accidentally even just cough out Sally Pearson. It's like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Sorry, you went straight for the sprinters. I know, I know. I'm, I'm in such a bubble and uh, embarrassing. But uh, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to vote. 
on some names. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be cheering Sally, likely and Cassie. But uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, for I think coming that's going to be my final two. Yeah, no, yeah. it's been awesome. Like uh, you know, you're pretty much on a podcast that doesn't even have a jingle, and uh, so by the end of it, it should be. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, Matt. No worries. Cheers, mate. Cheers.